Log Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine with your host, Susan Weed. I'm Daniel Michael, the founder, co-creator of the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Green Magic, Green Medicine will no longer be airing on Main Street Universe in a few weeks. Uh, we will discuss that more later, but we will also still play reruns, so we'll discuss all of these options and uh, capabilities and everything else. We have new hosts coming, including Mary Phelan and her return, but welcome all, and we'll be back in a moment. Forbidden Archaeology Forgotten History Divination Magic Cryptozoology UFOs Nature Science And Spirit All this and more Right here On the Main Street Universe Radio Network happy to be with you here again mm-hmm. here on the main street universe so I hear that there was a big tornado down south uh. <laughs> and I hear that there is shifting weather here on main street too yes as things go the only constant is change as they say and we will be discontinuing the show, and I say that with a heavy heart. Um, but sometimes things in your life change, and you must adjust and adapt, and and that's um, just how it is, you know. And is uh, is Main it, Street itself? going to stay open with other shows as you yeah. uh as you focus elsewhere yes it'll i want it to continue and to continue to exist how wonderful Just that 
I can't always be around for exactly for 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 other hosts, you know, on certain nights and things like that, like I've done before with Darren or with Evan and 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 and, and with you. But it's been a pleasure. And well, I would um, I would say that if you're doing it with everyone on Main Street, that it's been your entire life. And of course, we know it can't be because we know you've had jobs. At, you know, selling herbs and other things as well as doing music and recording and doing gigs. Mm-hmm. So there's only so many hours in each day. Right. And electrical work. I'm also a construction worker. <laughs> so there's that. Right, right. Sorry I left that out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think you would, I mean, That's a very important skill. Especially well, today. You. It's funny, you know, when I'm in an old room and I can't find any place to plug my electronic gear into. <laughs> there you go. I'm valuable somewhere. <laughs> well, you know, and before code, people just put their outlets wherever they wanted or didn't put them. Right, or just nothing. Or maybe that, that light in the middle of the room had a receptacle on it or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Not what we're used to. You are very useful in many, many ways. So I think that what you and I have decided is that I'm talking about botany, and I'm going to see how much longer I need and want to talk about botany. Right. And uh, then we're going to say adieu. Right. So long to um, this show on Main Street, and I'm going to have that time to focus in on writing. And I remember when I asked uh, a friend of mine who was connected just a little bit in the pagan community, and I said, uh, well, one thing I wanted when I started this entire network, I said, and the one thing I feel like I'm missing, because at the time we had a few hosts that were doing their own thing, and I said, now I wasn't even thinking of it as a host, just as a teacher. I said, I want somebody that's really good with the plants. You know. And then all of a sudden she mentioned your name and then you said yes. And I remember being so excited about you saying yes about that. I was actually surprised. I didn't think you were. <laughs> I'm like, well, she already does a two-hour show on Tuesday. Why would she do this? <laughs> and I remember being very excited and going, oh, okay. <laughs> so not only was it a host, but it was the teacher that I asked for in a way. Well, I have always started this show because it's always, for me, been right. kicked back and relaxed and whatever we want to do and that, like, you know, there's like an interesting... People are asking a ton of questions. <laughs> yeah, there's like an interesting flow between you and I. You bring things to the show. You know, we kind of spark off each other. And it's allowed me to explore topics in depth. And I see that uh, Justine has already uh, said to you, can we raid the archives and post Susan's shows with you elsewhere? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're very easy to post. So um, people can start looking for the shows that I've done here um, at Main Street at my website. Right. As well as it being archived here at Main Street. Mm -hmm. And thank you. Thank you for providing me for all of these years for this 
just a little treat at the end of my Tuesday. <laughs> and thank you. And not only that, for me, it's also been a great learning experience. You've taught me a lot. I mean, we all do our own research. We, do, we all do our own things. I've worked in the same industries that you've worked in before, like, you know, the health food stores and all that. And But I definitely learned so much and, and feel grateful. Um, you are you are welcome, and I. My hope is that I've taught you not just stuff, but that I've taught you um, how to look, how to look into the insides of things, how to question, mm-hmm. how to not take that, things for granted. Definitely. Yeah. Because thus, you know, you have a, a life. A lifelong desire for learning when it's that way. Versus just absorbing information but chasing it or going after it or, or having a, a, almost a lust for it. You know, Not just information that can sound generic, but I think you know what I mean. Like just, just to, to want to know. How well, can I, we make health our uh, – how can we take part in our own health? Versus just being receivers of whatever. How can we actually yeah. take part in it? How can we actually be part of our health? Well, we are, of course, at the center of our health. Mm. And how wonderful that we have helpers. But how much more help the helpers can give us if we know that we are truly the ones at the center of it. I was exactly. just talking just interviewing on my show um, a woman who's brought yoga into the addiction recovery community. Oh, interesting. And she was talking about how it, how it balanced her, and I let her get away with that for a while. And then I said, you know, my usual, well, that I didn't really hold with balancing <clears throat> because it's anti-life. And uh, I ta- But I said what I really like in yoga is that it's a pattern. And that especially when things get tough, to have a pattern that we can, as it were, fall back on, that we can rely on, is really, I think, the difference between um, mourning and understanding we're under stress and really going into depression. The ability to have built some kind of meditative routine, some kind of exercise routine, some kind of whatever it is that we have built to lean on those things and how important pattern is. And we talked um, for a while, Nikki and I, about the importance to human beings of pattern. And I wanted to be really clear in our talks about botany, that that's what botany is. Right. That botany is about patterns. It's about looking at nature and observing patterns and then seeing if we can play, match that pattern. How is this thing like that thing? And does it matter? And when I'm 
thinking about patterns. I always acknowledge to myself that pattern is deeply acculturated. And that means that the way I see patterns is very much influenced by the culture that I'm in. Right. And that other cultures will see different ways of ordering and patterning things. And what we're talking about in botany is, amazingly enough, an ordering system that everybody in the world has agreed to. And in one of those outrageous kind of we don't really know how it happened. Linnaeus really put his finger on the place in the plants that allows us to order them in a way that it makes sense, that the groupings that they fall into make sense to us, and they make sense within all cultures. Because they don't have to do with the culture, they have to do with the plants. So it's as though Linnaeus somehow stepped out of himself, out of his personal culture, and was able to step into the culture and the intelligence of plants, and then to report back to us, this is how they're related We talked in the past in these shows about botany, about how previously individual herbalists had their names for their plants, and they had their own ordering system, and those were acculturated ordering systems. And that what ruined this was expansion and breeding as we became more global human beings and less village human beings. We came into contact with more and more things and we had more and more need to agree among ourselves on the meanings of things outside our individual cultures. In fact, this is one of the reasons that our particular species is so dominant on this planet is because we can agree outside our cultural norms on things like the binomial system of classification. By two. It reminds me of a saying. It reminds you of what? Now, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, it, That's but okay. It, when the point was so strong that I, I felt like I had to say something. It reminds yes. me of the saying of um, how human beings are not indigenous, but they are endogenous, meaning they can create and become their own new reality versus being, like you were saying, 
just surviving in the village tribal thing. Yes, that we can work cooperatively together to agree on something like the binomial system of classification. Which is pretty staggering. I mean, bridges are amazing and skyscrapers are good, but the binomial system and classification that everybody on the planet agrees to this is just mind-boggling to me. So bi is two, and nomal is name. So the binomial system of naming things means that every living thing has two names. And when it came to plants, Linnaeus created the names for the plants and then the larger groupings of plants based on their sexual characteristics. Right. Yes. And it you were turns talking about plants. <laughs> plants, yes. Yeah. And it turns out that those characteristics are what most of us are interested in in plants. In short, they're flowers. So when we're looking at the flower of a plant, we're actually looking at the sexual organs of the plant. We talked about the tree of life. And the cells with a nucleus and the cells without a nucleus and the new cells we found deep in the ocean floor at the base of the tree of life and the trunk splitting into plants and animals and the plant parts splitting into non-flowering and flowering plants. And the flowering plant part splitting into wind-pollinated, in other words, flowers that are green or non-existent, and insect-pollinated which leads to beautiful flowers that we cultivate for the beauty of them, but that contain actual sexual organs. We talked about the fact that the non-flowering plants increase by cloning, and that in fact for most of the life Cloning is the way to reproduce, and that sexual reproduction is a new wrinkle, and it gives us more possibilities. When you clone, you get the same thing. When you do sexual reproduction, it's like you mix the genes up. It's like you throw the dice. You don't know what you're going to And to me, the thrill of learning about botany is that it is like a secret passageway into this culture of the plants and into how the plants operate and into how we can cooperate with the plants. So that when I'm learning botany, I'm not just learning it as this chore, this drudgy thing that I have to do because that's the binomial name of the plant and everybody's agreed to it, so I have to know it. But more like this 
exciting adventure of what's the name of this plant and what does that tell me about that. So our binomial name is Homo sapiens. And sapiens, to be sapient, is to think. And so sapiens means thinking. And homo is man, person. So our two-name name, when we look at it, means a thinking person, a thinking being. And those two units are the species and the genus. The genus is the more general of the two names, and the species is the more specific of the two names. But above those is the family. So Linnaeus looked at the flowers of the plants and looked at the sexual organs in the flowers of the plants and grouped them together based on those things. Let's go over that. It's a little vocabulary, but we don't have to be afraid of vocabulary. We're going to look at the flower, and the first thing that we're going to see is a flower bud. Let's imagine a rose bud. And there are green, petal-like things over the rose bud. And very quickly now, the rosebud is going to open, and we're going to see that the rose petals are actually quite different, and they're colored. And those green things that we saw are called the sepals, the S-E-P-A-L-S. The sepals and the sepals protect the flower bud. Now, sepals can be quite interesting. In the dandelion family, also known as the sunflower family, the sepals are small and very tough, except for the base, which is soft. A very big plant in this family, we eat the sepals of, and that's artichoke. That's interesting. We're not eating the leaves of the artichoke. The leaves are big. The artichoke is a thistle. This is the flower bud that we're eating, the artichoke. And we're scraping out that tender little part with our teeth from each one of the sepals. And inside there is what's going to become the flower And that's the artichoke heart. 
and then the, that kind of hairy stuff on top of it that you don't eat. And imagine a dandelion that's made seeds, and it has little white hairs on it, right? So it looks like a fluffy white ball. Same thing in the artichoke. If it bloomed, those things, those hairy things you scrape away, would turn into that white fluff and float it away. So that's the sepal, the outermost part, the green part. It doesn't have to be green in the tulip. It's the same color as the tulip petals. And one might say, well, Susan, why isn't it petals? Why don't we just say that the tulip has six? And thus we come to one of the rules of botany. And every game has its rules, and we must simply follow them. And that is that whatever the outermost layer is, no matter what its color is, it's a sepal. Right. So we're going to call it the sepal. Yes, usually the green, but not always. And inside that rosebud that opened up, we are going to see rose petals. Neither the sepals nor the petals perform a necessary reproductive function in terms of the sex life of plants. But the sepals and the petals both help guide the pollinators and support the pollinators, giving literally giving the pollinators somewhere to stand while the pollinator applies itself to the task. And the task for the pollinator is to gather the nectar and the nectar is produced at the furthest most end of the female part of the flower. If we think now, instead of our rose, of a lily sticking right up in the center of the lily is something with three, it looks like kind of glistening balls on it. And that glisten is the nectar. And if you were to follow down from that long thing that's holding those three balls up, you would find a little cave, which is the ovary. So that is the female part of the flower. In the lily, to the side of that glistening three-balled thing, we would see something that was brown or black or golden yellow that if we got it on our clothes or our skin would stain. And that coloration is pollen. 
when the pollinator is there getting the nectar, which is what the pollinator wants, the pollinator brushes into the pollen-bearing part of the plant, which is the male part of the plant. And if you follow that little clump of pollen back, you will see that it's on this thread-like hair. So the male part of the plant is this little hair that kind of pushes up the pollen so that it's up by the nectar so that the pollinator stumbles into it. The pollinator then also can transfer pollen from a previous flower that it visited to this outermost reach of the ovary, which is called the stigma. And the stigma is where the pollen comes to begin its journey to the ovary. So the pollinator comes to the nectar, which is on the stigma, and it bumbles into the pollen, and then it flies to another flower, and it takes that pollen to another flower, but bees tend to go to the same kind of flower. The safeguard here is that if pollen from a flower that isn't the same as the one in which the pollen got on the stigma, when that happens, the stigma won't let the pollen go through the style and get to the ovary. In fact, there has to be a genetic agreement between the pollen and the stigma, which then causes an enzyme to be produced that actually carves a channel down through the center of the style, allowing the male genetic material to move down into the ovary where the baby seeds are that will be fertilized by the pollen. And that's our half hour for this evening. Are you up for coming back for another Tuesday? Yes, yes. We, we like I said, we have three or four. And Good. Four. Then, then we will continue exploring the sex life of plants, which is going to teach us a lot about how to use plants medicinally next week. A lot and about for, our health. For as many weeks. As we need, probably till somewhere mid to late January, until we really feel that we we have gotten botany and want to make it our own, and then um, we will give each other a virtual hug and a kiss, and say goodbye. Thank you so much for supporting my quest to restore herbal medicine as people's medicine. Thank you for joining me on the same quest. Because you are welcome. 
Good night. Green blessings, everyone. Green blessings to you, Daniel. Yes, green blessings to you as well. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network.